Druids and cars go into festivals. They can chat about things. It's a druid podcast in cars. Sometimes the best parts of festivals are the discussions that surround them, reflections on what we did and heard, anticipation of what's to come, and processing what it all means in relation to our spiritual work. We wanted to help either introduce you to that phenomenon or extend it for you. That's what this is about. I'm Reverend Jana Vende. And I'm Reverend Michael J. Dangler. We're priests of Arnriach Fane and members of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. We're recording these sessions actually live in cars, actually going to festivals and events, so you will hear road noise, turn signals, and navigation prompts. But that's part of what makes it fun. So... Sit back and enjoy, druids. In cars. Going to festivals. One of the things we talk about when we talk about priesthood is the call. Capital C, the call. Uh, Yes, Um, the discernment process. You say discernment process, I say the call. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's, it's what is the... What is the reason that you are a priest? And it's different than your vocation, yes. I would say. Um, but what is the thing that that you knew that you had to take on this path? Well, for me, the reason that I am a priest is because it is the thing that feels the most right to me. It is the thing I can do. It allows me to help others. It allows me to teach. It allows me to be creative, not only with myself, but also with the world around me. And it gives me access to relationships and experiences that I can use to extend those things to others. So the creativity, the ability to help, the ability to work, all those things, Um, by being a priest and having access to the relationships that I do, I'm able to offer those to others in a way that I can't think of another job that would allow me to do those things. Yeah, I, um, so one of the things that I, I, I say often in response to people um, talking about whether they should do the initiate work or the clergy work is if you have a call to clergy, it will be there. It's not going to go away. Um, and for me, my call, I, I <laughs> with with that in mind, that it won't go away, I probably from a very young age had that call. Um, I was always the person who ended up being, like, the friend counselor. You know, like, people would would come to me when there was a a friend group explosion, and I would be the mediator and the person who would talk and who would listen, um, and generally stayed in the middle, like, the the person who didn't necessarily get involved or take sides on any of that. Um, I had um, a brief run-in with getting involved in Christianity. <laughs> I don't know how else to put that. But um, I I did get confirmed. I'm not sure what 
denomination anymore, which is, shows you about how much I was committed to Christianity, but it was the need to get involved with a religion. Um, and as things continued on, like, I still had that, that need and that pull to, to draw me into that deeper religious practice and that way that I can help people. Um, and I resisted it hard. I resisted it hard when I was going through, um, some of the stuff in college and when I did the dedicant work and when I chose to do the initiate work, I was like, I'm not going to be a priest. That's not... It's not what I'm doing. I remember. <laughs> I, uh, you do remember. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to be a priest. Um, and here I am. Because the call would not go away. Yeah, I know. I could hear it too. It was loud. I know it was. and <laughs> You were very good though and you didn't push me into it. Not really. No. Why would I push you into a train you're going to stand in front of yourself? <laughs> I didn't see it coming. <laughs> I don't have to tie you to the train tracks. You're going to be there anyway. Uh, uh, the, when, I, uh, when I was younger, I was enamored with the notion of Catholic priests because here were people who were out there doing religious work for others, getting paid to do it, that's still a dream of mine. Still a dream, but <laughs> not a reality in our lifetimes, I don't suspect. But if you'd like to donate to this podcast, you can do that at threecranes.org slash donate. None of the money goes to us, but hey. Good plug. It's a great plug. <laughs> but I really liked the notion of being committed full-time. Yes. To helping other people. Yes. And having a system of support to help do that. And that's part of what we're doing in our generation is we are trying to build the systems for that support for the future. Right. I don't think I'll ever get paid for being a priest, but... I don't either, but I'm really pleased with doing it mostly full-time. Yeah, and, and I'm also pleased with the notion that maybe we can get it so that the next generation can have yes. paid priests. Yeah. And priests on call. And... Um, but, of course, the whole... Catholic thing really didn't sit well with me, mostly because I was being—I I had been raised Protestant, also mostly because I was pagan, and also <laughs> because, well, you know, celibacy and not being married just doesn't flip my boat. Um, but I was—I was very intrigued by this whole notion of a priest of the people, a priest who, who could do that work. I was less intrigued by the deity that Catholic priests are into. But the whole notion appealed to me. And that was from a, a fairly young age. I mean, I remember writing in journals in early high school that if I were Catholic, that would be the direction that I would go. And then it became taken. Right. So, you know, that was out. Yeah, and I mean, I was clearly on that path when I got confirmed. Like, because for me, you know, it, it wasn't a thing that I was pressured into doing, like, by my family. It wasn't an expected part of my religious life, being raised mostly non-religious. Um, it was a thing that I chose to do because I wanted to move forward in that manner. Um, and, and it, I don't know that I, 
wanted to be a priest. And part of that, I think, is because girls aren't priests. There so I that. didn't have that model to look at for myself. I couldn't see myself in any of those positions. Um, and, and so that didn't, it didn't occur to me that that was an option, but it was clearly the thing that was pulling me forward. Yes, I could see that. Um, and, and that's part of why I really like that in ADF we have a fair number of non-male priests. Yeah. I like the fact that I think it's over half. I think right it. Around I half. think it is over half I, now I of non-men. Non-male priests, and <clears throat> that I think is is very important because, frankly, representation matters. Yeah, we've said it lots on this podcast. We have, not. but but especially reflecting on the fact that I didn't have anyone I could look at to see myself in the role that I'm in now. Yep. Um, it is huge, and, and I mean, it's it's funny because even my daughter, I've I've talked about this before, but she, when she's playing pretend, there have been a couple of occasions where she's the priest. Yep. And I'm like, well, that's <laughs> that's weird. She's like, I'm gonna be like mommy and be the priest, and that's. I mean, she can clearly see herself in that role, yes. and you know whether or not that turns into anything is whatever. That's her choice, but the fact that she. Has, has the, option. the option of that being something that she could be um, yes. is really, really important. Yeah. And when I was a kid, I did not see a lot of non male priests mm-hmm. of any denomination. Of course, I grew up in Kentucky, and you don't hire them. <laughs> <laughs> and that sort of thing will stick with you. So. I'm, I'm pleased to have that kind of representation. Yeah. It's, it's comforting for me to have that because, again, I've got a daughter too. It's really nice that she can look around and see people that, that she could become. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going back to the call, that's really interesting that you <laughs> said about me. It's really loud. I could hear it too. Um, but it's amusing to me because I can see it in other people now. Yep. Um. It's like you can read their aura. No, but it's... It's very voyeuristic. You say that. What I'm going to say is that there's resonance. Yep. And so because I have... Sound or a fine. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I have heard and answered the call. And you had heard and answered the call. And so now, when the call is present in others, I feel like I can see it a lot more clearly and possibly before they can. Yes. Most people try to deny it, especially pagans. There's a subset of us that doesn't. Um, But I think most people who are pagan are leery of the notion. I tried to deny it. Yeah. I was definitely in that camp. Um, I don't know for necessarily the same reasons that other people may, but I was like, I'm not a priest. I will not be a priest. I'm clearly not going to be in that role. I'm not. <laughs> in a lot of cases, once you become a priest, you're like, why did I ever want to do this? <laughs> It's not entirely true. That question happens often, though. It does happen often. And sometimes it's just tongue-in-cheek, and sometimes it's... Because the work is really heavy. It is. 
I've mentioned elsewhere, depending on when this goes to air, my, my father once interviewed a, a person who came out of seminary and asked him, why do you want to be a priest? He said, well, I didn't realize that there were so many funerals. I thought it was all marrying people. And you just don't realize that. Yeah. Um, no matter how many times someone tells you, hey, you got to do funerals too, it's very different the first time someone comes to you and trusts you with a funeral. Yeah. So, we've talked about that plenty, though. But yeah, so people deny the call, is what you were. Yes. They deny it, or, I mean, there are people who walk away from it. Yes. But it's a conscious decision to do so, I think. So that call does stay with you. Yeah. And I don't know, I mean, having been someone who didn't walk away from it, in a very conscious, like, setting it aside, this is not what I'm going to do with my life. I don't I don't know what happens to it after that. I don't either. Obviously, um, I've never walked away from mine. Right, but. right. So I, I don't know. We um, should ask someone sometime. We should. My, I expect that it, that it becomes less urgent. Because um, for me, the call grew more and more and more urgent, and I couldn't ignore it anymore. Well, I, I think, though, that when you've walked away from it, it's like leaving it on a shelf or even throwing it in the trash. I suspect that they're, depending on who you are, those kinds of things might might be options that are available. I may also suggest or suspect that you could put it in a box. And sometimes you end up opening the box and it's still there. I was going to say, I, I could definitely see you setting it aside for a time and coming back to it. Um, I've known people to do that. Yeah. Um, but I feel like that still fits the mold of it will be there. Yeah. It's there It's there for you if you want to pick it up. Sometimes you can't avoid picking it up. You gotta move it. <laughs> As you're staring at me. <laughs> You've gotta move it. You gotta pick it up and set it somewhere else. <laughs> but, you know, it's it, it will be there for you. That is for sure. The call remains. Recognizing it, it is a discernment process. It is a, it is a process of questioning and asking and reflecting and doing it all over again. Questioning one more time, asking yourself again, asking your friends, asking your mom. You do all these kinds of asking things. Asking your priest. Asking your priest. You just says, now you're fine. Who tries very hard not to tell you, are you an idiot? <laughs> Don't you see it? <laughs> <laughs> Can't you hear the horn? It's coming. Hear the train it coming. Rolling around the bed. <laughs> so I need to know, what does the call sound like since you're over here telling me that mine's a train? <laughs> what it sounds like, specifically, It sounds like the voice of someone in ritual who doesn't know how to keep their mouth closed. It sounds like someone whose hands keep picking up their guitar. It sounds like someone who finds their way to the center of the right. It sounds like someone who makes offerings each time they come to the center. It sounds like the silver that hits the bottom of the well. It sounds like the oil sputtering on the fire. What it sounds like most, though, I think, 
sounds most like the rays of dawn as they come over the horizon. Because it's a different person that comes out when that call starts to come out. It's a new person. And it's vibrant and it's buzzy. It's all of those things. And the more one tries to walk away from the dawn, the more it catches up to them. You can't outrun it. You can sit in the dark for a while, you can find shade, you can go down a mountain. But it always shows up. And it always comes with the sound of more silver in the well, it always comes with the sound oil on the fire, milk poured upon stones, things like that. And every time I hear those noises, they're clear, they ring true, and they build. Dawn gets higher, fingers go further over the horizon, and eventually they strike. They hit that person, and everything in them changes. They're brightened. They step into that role, and they grow into it. And it's kind of pretty, like Dawn is, you know? You're way more eloquent than me right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it sounds like. It sounds like all of those things. And so, I don't know. And it's interesting because I would agree with most of that. And I think it's, it is interesting that we call it a call and then ask people what it sounds like because it's not always sounds. It's, like you're saying, it's, it's the fingers that won't stop touching the guitar. It's the, the, the person with the ideas that just burst out of them. It's, it's the... It's the offerings made and the feeling that comes with them. It's, it, for me, it's less a sound and more of a pressure. Um, and, and you use the dawn metaphor, which makes a lot of sense to me. And I think of it, um, in, in addition to that, I think of it like a dam. And as you're, you're adding things to this, to this lake, right? And the pressure is building on this dam. And the more things they do, the more times they pick up that guitar, the more times that they come to the center and they make those offerings. And the more times that they do these things that are what is calling them forward, the more and more drops fall into that lake. And eventually the pressure just can't hold anymore and it bursts. And... It drowns everybody. It doesn't drown everybody. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you evacuated everyone. That's right. <laughs> but, it, but it hits them, and, and they are filled with it. Yes. They're filled with it. Um, and, and there's that change. There's that sudden switch. Um, and, and it's interesting seeing sometimes how rapidly that change happens to someone. Every offering that you put into the well fills it up a little bit. And if I could describe a religious experience, a feeling of religion, a feeling of spirituality, it would be to be filled. Yes. And I think that is really what the call that has been manifested sounds like. 
it sounds like. It is the difference in sound between a couple of dimes in a jar, a couple of silver mercury dimes in a jar, and a jar filled with them. That is the sound difference. That makes sense? No. <laughs> what do silver mercury dimes sound like? I don't know. Dump some dimes in a jar and shake them around and tell me. <laughs> and then fill it up all the way to the top and shake it again and see what the sound is. Oh, oh, okay. I understand it now. <laughs> You're talking about like three coins in a jar. Yep. And a jar filled up with coins. It doesn't matter that they're silver mercury. It doesn't. Okay. <laughs> I chose I silver like... mercury because I wanted <laughs> silver coins and I'd started with dimes and it didn't. Okay. They're not all silver, you Got know. Got it. See, that's where the metaphor lost me. I'm good now. <laughs> I'm good now. My, my... It was so pretty, too. <laughs> my, my image that came into my head as you're describing that is you can fill up a glass of water without looking at it if you're listening. But you have to be listening really, really close, and you can hear when the water reaches the top right before it pours over. Yep. Um... It, for me, that's it's that same fullness, and that and and for me, it really is. It's a pressure that builds and builds and builds until it it bursts forth. Thanks for listening, and there's more to come. We welcome your ideas and questions. If there's something that you'd like to hear us discuss in a future episode, please drop us a line at druidsincars at threecranes.org. If you would like to donate, you can do so at threecranes.org slash donate. Druids and Cars Going to Festivals is a production of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. Learn more about our grove at threecranes.org and more about druidry at adf.org. As always, keep circulating the tapes and let us pray with a good fire. <laughs>